0: Hi everyone and welcome to Dirty Dirty Talk podcast. This week we have uh, a show with Elizabeth Collins. She's an abolitionist vegan. She advocates for anti-speciesism, operates a vegan advocacy cart and has a podcast, New Zealand Vegan Podcast. We chat about concepts of property and personhood with animals. We chat about the welfarist versus abolitionist debate, the compatibility of veganism in a globalized and industrialized world Um, Insects and their sentience Moral schizophrenia Why she started the podcast And her favorite vegan recipe for non-vegans Let's get stuck into it Welcome everybody to True in the Fat. This is the first show back for 2017. Yeah! Um, my guest tonight is Elizabeth Collins. Elizabeth is an abolitionist vegan, advocates for anti-specialism and runs uh, runs a vegan street store. Has her own podcast and has her own podcast, New Zealand Vegan Podcast. Welcome!
1: Hello, thank you so much for having me on, Mike.
0: So, first of all, I just want to put it out there, your podcasts are a great listen. They're fascinating and I've learned heaps from them. I sort of didn't, I think when I contacted you about coming on the show, I was like, oh, you, you asked me, oh, how you come across them? And I couldn't remember. I wish I could remember. I think I was just looking at music on podcasts or something like that. But anyway, um, I've got a few friends who are vegans or who were vegans. Um, and so I sort of know the perspective a little bit, but it's kind of like a quite in-depth approach to, to like the vegan perspective. But one of the core values that you talk about a lot in your podcast is the concept and it's, it's like a key sort of value for uh, veganism is speciesism. Mm-hmm. Do you want to explain what speciesism is?
1: I can do my best. Um, it was coined in the 1970s, I think, don't quote me on that, by a person called David Nybert. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, And basically, speciesism is exactly the same as racism, sexism, or heterosexism, or ageism, or any other of those isms, where you take an, it's a moral, it's a moral position, so where you take an irrelevant criterion like skin color, or sexual orientation, and you discriminate based on that, so when what we do to other animals is we discriminate based on species and the argument against speciesism is that species is not a morally relevant characteristic to justify discrimination just as sex is not a relevant characteristic so that's how why we tie it in together with that name it's mm. anti-discrimination kind of thing
0: and this is all predicated in the fact that there is no difference between species
1: Well, obviously there's differences between species, but when we're talking about animal rights, for example, there's differences between men and women, but when we're talking about sexism and we're talking about women's rights, we're saying that it's not morally justifiable to discriminate against women purely based on their sex. So, for example, Paying them less money simply because they're women is discrimination. So women, you know, women and men are different. We're all different. But when we're talking about equality for non-humans and humans, you have to have the basic rights intact. And that's really important. I've actually got a book here that I wanted to, that might help me a bit to talk about the basic rights. But it's, do you get the idea? Was that, did that make sense? Yeah, totally.
0: I think that the natural follow-up question would be, and how does that lead to veganism?
1: Right. Good question. So, non-human animals um, share a very important characteristic with human animals. I mean, we're all animals, right? Yeah. And that is sentience. Do you know what that is? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I've got lots of questions about that, actually. Should
1: I explain it just a... Let's
0: go for it. Yeah.
1: I didn't know what sentience was. Yeah. And I I just was like, what is it? And I looked it up on Wikipedia. But basically, the basic criteria for sentience is the ability to feel. You know, we, we share perception they have a perception of the world around them that's basically what sentience is sapience is the ability to reason or to philosophize but sentience is simply the ability to have perception to feel and it's emotional and physical and we do share that with other animals okay so that's the prerequisite for veganism because when it comes to the right not to be property all sentient beings have that one right. Humans used to be property, they were slaves. Non-humans are slaves, they're literally property. So veganism is a rejection of the property status. We refuse to pay for them to be used. We don't use them because we recognize what is called their moral personhood. So they're treated as things, they're literally property, but they're actually persons. And it doesn't mean human, it means not a thing.
0: So let's describe Let's, let's talk through uh, sentience a little bit because sure. I, I find this really fascinating concept. Sure. Is there a sliding scale of sentience? That's got to be something that comes up quite a bit, right? Well, or yes, or is, is it more binary than that?
1: It's binary. When it comes to, now there is such things as mollusks, and some people might doubt whether they're sentient. And the vegan answer to that is if in doubt, don't use them. You can live without eating mollusks, you don't need it luckily for us water is not sentient and air is not sentient or we'd all be in you know a terrible position so it is binary if you're a sentient being you have the right not to be used Um, and i believe insects are sentient apparently the jury is still out on that in the scientific community Um, but it's it's because of the central nervous system and all these kinds of things but I interact with insects all the time. I think they're sentient. But the vegans I know who are in doubt, they're still, they don't harm insects as much as they possibly can. So it is binary for
0: us. So that's an interesting, okay, there's two things about that quickly. Um, mm-hmm. As much as you can, let's, yeah. pro- let's, let's come back to that because sure. I find that really interesting.
1: Yep, it's very
0: important. But the sentience thing, mm. um, that basically means that you don't, take advantage of something because of it's what is personhood
1: yeah personhood is the key to the abolitionist approach to animal rights just want to introduce that i subscribe to animal abolitionist approach to animal rights which is a theory of animal rights that was developed by gary francione and um that was what fueled my veganism and my activism so um getting back to um
0: Personhood personhood,
1: right? So there's a when you're talking about personhood You're it's it's related to sentience at least we relate it to sentience right now non-human animals are chattel property Okay, so they're literally things in the eyes of the law They are as just as much of a thing as this glasses case or your car. They might have some emotional value attached so, like, if your dog is brutally killed, your neighbor is going to be prosecuted for destruction of property, not not for you know killing or whatever you would call it. But you can argue that your dog was a member of your family and had some emotional value. But so you could, if it was a valuable painting that was handed down through your family. So we recognize, you know, we recognize that non-human property is different from you know non-sentient things that are property, but they're still literally property. So when it comes to sentience and moral personhood, in order for them to be recognized as moral persons, they cannot be treated as property because personhood does not belong to property. Property doesn't have personhood. When slaves, were human slaves were in, legally in existence, obviously they still exist now, but like, let's talk about race-based slavery in America, they were literally property too. so that's where and so where personhood comes in is if you if you are negating someone's personhood you're treating them as a thing
0: so in essence and correct me if i'm wrong here your your argument is that all animals all things with personhood are all equal
1: when it comes to the basic right not to be property and when it comes to other fundamental rights. Let me explain. I've actually got a passage. Awesome. This is, this is really, really important, and yep. I really don't want to mess this up. Wait. So basic, the basic right is, um, there are several basic rights that have been identified. The most important of these is the basic right to physical security. A right that is basic not to be subjected to murder torture mayhem rape or assault that's a basic right so while acknowledge, okay so I'll skip that um, okay so few if any people would be prepared to defend in principle the contention that anyone lacks a basic right to physical security If a person, and that can be non-human or human, does not enjoy the basic right to security and may be murdered at will by any other person, then it is senseless to consider what other, quote, rights she might have. In other words, if I have no right to physical security and you have the right to kill me at any time, then my possession of the right to drive or the right to vote becomes meaningless. So we're talking about basic rights here when we're talking about the, the first step, the right not to be property, is a basic right. The right to physical security, not to be murdered, tortured, raped, That's those are basic rights.
0: A question that sort of pops up in my mind mm-hmm. is, are the two things mutually exclusive, i.e. the right to not be property and the, ni- uh, the right to not be, uh, to have uh, physical, physical harm can't, Come to you?
1: They're basically one and the same in the way, well, they're, they're incredibly intertwined and related because once you're a piece of property, your right to physical security is gone. Here's an example um, once you are a slave, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You are no longer a member of the moral community because you no longer have any interests that can be protected in any meaningful way. Your owner may choose to treat you well, and we will protect that choice. Your owner may choose to treat you poorly, and we will protect that choice as well. Indeed, we will protect your owner's decision to inflict pain and suffering on you, as long as your owner derives a benefit thereby. So, yes, being a piece of property, you have no physical security. Okay. That makes um, sense. Yeah, totally, it does. I Go mean,
0: on. I'm just I'm thinking from a listener who's who who has never uh, heard a vegan perspective before. Cool and it's just sort of advocating for a question that they might ask mm-hmm. i think probably one of the first things that comes to my mind is mm. i mean the, the example i would give is, is a dog sure for example you know like um if you have a pet dog yes. which is property yes. uh is their welfare better off being owned than it would be to not be owned is there a sort of is there is there an approach a vegan perspective to that
1: there's an abolitionist perspective right we oppose The property status of animals we oppose the property status of all animals of all types so we don't think there should be the institution of pets we disagree with that pets were bred into existence for our use however that doesn't mean that the millions of dogs and cats who are here found by the side of the road sure languishing in a kill shelter being beaten in someone's backyard This doesn't mean that us abolitionists say, well, we're opposed to owning animals so we just don't want anything to do with those pets. We recognize that they're moral persons. It's not their fault. They are no more responsible for being in existence than an orphaned child is. And we have just as much obligation to care for them as we do orphaned children. But our position is we should stop breeding them into existence. So that's the abolitionist perspective. Right, okay, okay, we yeah, want to yeah, abolish yeah, yeah. domestication. Right. But veganism means not using animals. So even if you are completely opposed to the idea that we shouldn't have pets as property, we shouldn't own pets. Um you should, you know, adopt 50 dogs, please. They need homes and it's not going to be abolished in your lifetime, but go vegan today because you can, you know, you can care for rescued animals, but Doing that while simultaneously going to the supermarket and buying the bodies, the corpses, the pieces of flesh or the you know the milk and eggs of other animals, it doesn't make sense you know
0: yeah okay i have I have this question I thought about for a long time mm-hmm. about the idea of um- abolition veganism mm. and it's that if we consider like this is we humans consider that all uh, sentient beings have personhood I'm just sort of like roughly making my way through this sort of stuff but um, if we think that all uh, sentient beings have personhood we aren't we as humans applying this human thought onto animals and isn't that kind of counterproductive in, a, in the sense that we are projecting our own values onto other animals?
1: That's an interesting question. Well, I'll, I'll turn it around and ask you a question.
0: Mm.
1: When we breed into existence these animals and then we slaughter them and we eat them and, or we, we make their skin into bags and shoes or whatever, or we use them in entertainment and circuses and things, What do you think that we're imposing anything on them then? Because our position is that we shouldn't be imposing on them at all. We, wanna, we, we, we don't want to use them anymore, so recognizing their basic right not to be property and ending the use of them as property and allowing them their moral personhood and allowing them to live without our interference is much less of an imposition in my mind than what we're doing now.
0: Right. That's an interesting answer. And it kind of speaks to the next question, the follow-up question is, you know, if you, the if dog was killing a chicken, that's fine. Um, let's hope it goes away. If a dog was killing a chicken, how would you respond to that? Uh,
1: you mean a domestic chicken?
0: Yeah, let's mm. say let's say that a, um, a domestic, domestic dog was sort of escaped home and so did a chicken and they were down the street and you saw it a uh, dog killing a chicken, how would you respond to that?
1: Um, I would try to save the chicken. I would try to save the chicken just the same way I would try to save a little child that the dog attacked. Um, it's not about picking and choosing um, sides, so to speak. I mean, it is definitely, well, I, maybe I should rephrase that. Yeah. Here's the way to think about it. When we're talking about veganism, on a basic level, we're talking about not using non-human animals as property. Yep. We're talking about not breeding them into existence in order to slaughter them and use them. Not breeding them into existence in order to experiment on them, put them into cages, use them for entertainment, whatever, whatever, right? So that's why you go vegan and you don't wear animal products, you don't eat animal products, you don't pay money to go and watch them entertain you. All of that stuff is covered by veganism. But when you're talking about situations of conflict, for example, well, what if a tiger was attacking you or something like that? That's a separate issue. It's a completely separate issue. Because right. if another human was attacking you, I might take physical force against that human. Yeah. But does that mean that I can then choose to go out and just Kill other people for fun or because they taste good. So they're not related. Okay, Mm. when we're talking about veganism and abolition, we're talking about abolishing the property status and domestication, and any situations of conflict that arise between us and other animals, how however they come about, or between other animals, our pets and other animals, or whatever the case may be. Those, you know. Those are situations which you would hope to do the right thing, do the best thing you can, just like you would if it was humans involved. And mm-hmm. you saw two humans fighting each other, and one of them was killing each other. What would you do? I mean, what if it was your daughter, and it was and it was a man, and you, and you didn't know what else to do, but you hurt the man? Does you know that doesn't mean that you then go out and enslave other people?
0: Okay, I've just come in from a little bit of, little bit of raining from outside, but um. I was saying earlier that uh, a friend of mine works for, in cancer research and he's, uh, he works in a lab. And this question must come up a lot. Uh, he kills, or he has killed, and he is killing um, himself, you know, thousands of mice in order to carry out this research. And as I said, this question must come up routinely for you. How do you respond?
1: Okay, good question. It does come up. Not as often as you might think. Um, right, so Gary's um, Francione, who is where I learned all my animal rights theory from, um, he says that when it comes to um, animal use, 99.99999% of our animal use is what he calls transparently trivial. So in other words, we don't need to eat them. We have no nutrition, nutritional necessity. It's completely trivial. We mostly do it because we like the taste or because we're ignorant about the fact that we don't need to eat them. But once you're educated on that, you know, we don't need to wear trinkets made out of them. We don't need to put them in cages and dress them up and put them in circuses. It's transparently trivial. The one question that is the the 0.001 that is not transparently trivial and might take a little bit longer to answer is vivisection, but it's still answerable. So I'll try to make it as succinct as possible. First of all, um, I don't want to get into a big scientific argument because your friend who's a scientist might be listening, but from what I understand, there is a lot of evidence that animal testing is nowhere near as effective as it could, as it you know, as it would need you know need to be anyway. Even medical medical community, there are different species. There are things that are missed. There are mistakes that are made. They're just not the same species, so a lot of it doesn't translate into humans. Um, in a in a way that is useful anyway. A lot of vivisection and experimentation is for transparently trivial things, such as you know, makeup and cosmetics and things like that. But let's say cancer research. I'll 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 ask you a question. Maybe your scientist, um, your friend who's a scientist, can answer this. First of all, I'm not advocating this, but here's a hypothetical. If sure. we were to experiment on humans, we would get unbelievably good results for our cancer research. I mean, there's no doubt about it but we wouldn't even consider doing that the only reason we do it on other animals is because they're not human so that's speciesism so what we're saying is there it's not a morally justifiable reason to do it if if we were as concerned you know if we were purely scientific about it and abstract about it and um and they found a way to breed into existence you know, humans from let's say criminals or rapists and they just use them as unconsenting biomedical experiments, the um, return on that scientifically and medically would be a million times better than it is now. We might already have a cure for cancer. We could have already done it. So if the argument is, well, we really need to save human lives and we really need to be curing, you know, curing cancer, well, why aren't we using humans? Well, because it's immoral. They were non-consenting. You know, These are non-consenting subjects. What we're saying is the non-humans are also non-consenting subjects and the only reason we justify doing it to them is number one, there's nothing they can do about it. They're completely helpless. And number two, because they're not human and so we can and we do. So does that mean that I want people to die of cancer? No, but I want there to be alternative methods. Um, obviously, I think that a lot of cancer is caused by unhealthy living. Um, there's not necessarily... To say that everybody who has cancer is, you know, irresponsible for their health. I know it's a terrible disease, and um, but I, a lot of it's caused by animal product consumption these days. Apparently, colon cancer and bowel cancer, this is all related to animal product consumption. So, so I mean, I can what I would probably do and answer that question, because I feel inadequate, because I don't get asked it very often, believe it or not. Really? But no, not personally, because people are too busy saying I like cheese, you know? Right, right, right. right and right, another right. thing. You know, you don't vivisect, right? Yes. You, your friend well, I, does. Well,
0: I actively, you know, I don't do you it don't actively. Do it. But I might be the recipient of medicines that have... Well, yeah,
1: maybe, yeah. maybe. But it's it's unlikely that your you know your animal consumption in vivisection is, is very high. But you certainly eat three times a day, wear clothes, you know, all those kinds of things. So even if you have doubts about vivisection, and I would like to put those doubts to rest, um, uh, I would, you know, you, you still... Go vegan. Vegans don't don't use products that are tested on animals. When it comes to um you know any any kind of cosmetic products, like we look for companies that don't do it, that are not doing it on any of their you know byproducts or the like the ingredients. We just we want to avoid that completely, and we do the best we can. However, if you are dying of um of a, of a disease, and the only medicine available for you is one that has been tested on animals. That's a conflict, like what I talked about. Remember how we talked about most of our animal use is not a conflict? Most of it's trivial? That's not trivial. And yeah, you have to examine it. And then the choice, you know, I wouldn't condemn you for choosing to live. If it was your child and you said, I want my child to live. That's a real conflict, you know. So that's that, That's where it gets complicated. Personally, like I have a slight heart condition. It's very minor. It's a faulty valve. I was born with it. It's called mitral valve prolapse. I learned, you know, I read about it once I was diagnosed and stuff. And there would be an operation where... If things got really bad for me, which is unlikely, if I was on the sort of high end of the scale, I would have to have valve replacement surgery. And I'd have a choice of a synthetic valve, which would probably fail after five or 10 years, or a pig's valve, which would last forever. I would not do the pig's valve. I would not do it. I mean, I know that about myself. You know, when it and But it, again, when it comes to other people's health and things like that, yes, it's complicated. And I've taken aspirin and Panadol, back in the day was that tested on animals. Yeah, you know, maybe it was. So there are there are complicated things. I mean, animal use is so pervasive and it's just so insidious that even though the morality is is black and white for me, you know, there are things which are you know Great. more complicated. Mm-hmm. Well, they're just more complicated. Yeah. But when it comes to basic animal use, most people don't use you know unless you're really sick and you're involved in vivisection or you have cancer or something like that. Then, But you can still eat vegan and, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 totally. I hope I answered that. Um, It's not sort of a
0: zero-sum game type thing where either you are or you are not to the, like, degree where there is absolutely no way you can ever...
1: Nobody exists without causing harm. Nobody. But we want a world in which we are as much closer to that than we are now. So right, if we right, had right, vegan right, right, doctors right. and vegan scientists and vegan physis- phys- physicists and, you know, vegan everybody, we would all be saying, we all have the right not to be used as
0: unconsenting biomedical well, let's, researchers. let's explore that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. What would a completely vegan world look like in your eyes?
1: Well, I've dreamed it so many times, I could sure almost you have. draw you a picture. Yeah, um, tell me about it. Right, so we would not have any domestic animals in existence at all. So there would be no farmed animals, there would be no pets, okay? Um, But that doesn't mean that we would annihilate them all to make it happen. I mean, I've often thought about it. How, what would we do? Now, let's say everybody decided to go abolitionist vegan today. Well, we'd have this generation plus their babies plus the other generation. We'd have to care for all of them. You know, make sure they didn't breed. If anybody accidentally um, did breed, then... um, you know, we'd have to care for their children and prevent any more breeding. So let's say in four generations we were done with domestication if we all did a concerted effort. Then we would have to non-violently figure out what to do about all the animals who we've introduced who are destroying habitats and destroying, you know, other animals. And, and we have a huge mess to clean up. So it doesn't get much beyond that for me because, I mean, my uh, my dream is like, you know, equilibrium in nature. We're living in in as much harmony as we can, you know, recycling absolutely everything we can. In a nutshell, uh, we would have no domesticated animals, we wouldn't be using any animals. There would be wild animals on the world and we would do our best not to interfere with them and not to have conflict with them and to not destroy their habitat, not to destroy each other's habitat. And as to how logistically we do that with recycling and sustainability and things, well that would take a that takes the globe to figure that out, and I don't have the answers. Like I don't yeah. have the I don't have the the mechanics of it. I have the but we we all need to do it. I can't do it alone. One of the questions I get asked well is like well what about you know what about pest animals as they're called or what about you know pollution or what about this and I'm like yeah I'm just one person. Mm. You go vegan too, and then together when we both take animal interests seriously. We can figure it out together because we need everybody to be vegan in order for that to happen. But vegan world for me, number one, no more domesticated animals, bare minimum. No more pets, no more farmed animals, no more circus animals, no more vivisected animals.
0: Yeah, That's a big start. Okay. Sure is. Um, so we've kind of talked about um, abolitionist veganism. Mm. Do you want to describe welfareism Versus the abolitionist approach, the sort of debate that's going on there?
1: Yep, okay. Basically, the debate is um, pretty simple. Abolitionists campaign for veganism as the moral baseline. So, in other words, that is a pretty much the only thing we campaign for because, as I hope I've argued successfully in this interview, Absolutely. Um, veganism is the bare minimum before we can even begin to do anything else. And when it comes to um, resp- uh, recognising the interests and the rights of other animals, if you're not vegan, you're not recognising their interests. You know, maybe you're picking and choosing. So it's it's the fundamental first step for a person to recognize the moral personhood of other animals and then there's a whole lot more to be done. Welfarism doesn't go for um, abolition. Welfarism goes for regulation. So, we want to abolish the property status of animals, so we campaign for veganism because veganism is about abolishing that property status because it's about not using animals. Welfarism is campaigning for better treatment of the property that we use. So they campaign for bigger cages, no cages. They campaign for um, more humane ver- slaughter practices, more humane farming practices. I use the word humane in a way that I would never... I mean, I don't. it doesn't, it doesn't work there, but that's what they call it. So um, it's a comp- they're a complete opposite to us, and I would recommend listening to the debate. Um, Google the debate between Gary Francione and Eric Marcus, Eric with a K, to hear the debate between abolition and welfare. That's,
0: that's a that's a debate. That's a full on debate. Francione takes abolitionist approach. Yes, and Eric okay. is arguing
1: for the welfareist repro- approach. And in fact, Gary Francione has debated a lot of people, and he's way better at at explaining this um, than me. And he's probably like, would be a better subject for you to interview, but, um, I hope that made sense. So we campaign for abolition, which means veganism, they campaign for regulation, which means anything but veganism.
0: Right, okay, because that's interesting. Um, in one of your podcasts, I heard you say that not being 100% vegan, which I'm assuming you mean abolitionist, um, you know, by not using cosmetics, clothing, medicines, etc., but calling yourself vegan does more harm than being non- vegan like someone I, someone like myself hmm. what, what do you mean by that?
1: Well that's a good question you know I've done about hundred <laughs> yeah, 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 and fifty podcast episodes and I started out as a very new vegan very new to abolition and I st- was learning as I go so I don't necessarily uh, I don't necessarily agree if that's what I said I don't necessarily agree with myself um, I'd love to know what episode that was so I can maybe like add a disclaimer I don't think that it causes more harm as such but in terms of like, if you're, an, if you're a vegan, you're, you're not using any animals at all. Whereas if you are a, a non-vegan, you are using all of these animals. But I would argue that the vegans who are welfareist are causing harm, a great deal of harm. So I would rather frame it like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I should have said that sure. there's, you know, they're, they're, they're causing more harm than a non-vegan. What I'm trying to say is they're, they're causing a lot of harm. Basically, welfareism harms animals, it hurts animals. Um, because, right. do you want to know why? Or?
0: Yeah, no, tell me, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: because it, it might not make sense to people, they think, oh, well, why is it not better? Because when you are talking about the property status, if you're not challenging it, you're reinforcing it. So when you're reinforcing the idea that they're property, that it's okay that they're property, the issue is not that they're property, the issue is how we treat them, then you as a vegan and as a supposed animal rights person, are reinforcing this very speciesist notion under the guise of animal rights, which is about as harmful as enforcing sexism is under the guise of feminism, or enforcing racism under the guise of civil rights. It's sort of, and we're such in the minority and the welfareists are such in the majority that, you know, um, the amount of damage they're doing is, is reflected in the amount of animal exploitation that is continuing.
0: Yeah, because in the same podcast, you mentioned SAFE, Save Animals from Exploitation, mm-hmm. I think it's called?
1: Yes, it used to be called Save Animals from Experimentation because yep. they started out about 80 years ago now, probably. Yeah. And that was back when there was only the anti-vivisection um, yeah. Campaign, right? Um, sort of in the world, really. Um, yeah, Safe is a welfareist organization. They have um, career, you know, advocates. They make that's how they pay their bills. So they need to do fundraising, and they need to solicit donations, and they need to have campaigns in order to do that. Yeah. So they work with industry. Um, at the very least, they're they're trying to reform industry. And what I'm saying is that the more you do that, you are, as an animal organization, completely reinforcing the the idea that non-humans are property. And they it's mean, only how we treat them, not that we use them.
0: I mean, this might be a little bit, sort of, um... I don't know, there, there's, I mean, the the argument that I, that I heard from that was basically what you've said, but, I mean, I sort of think about it, I thought about it a little bit, because, um... You didn't speak highly of them, which you just talked about now, and the, the welfareist sort of approach. Um, but if you kind of take the save animals from ex, uh, exploitation, no, sorry, um, experimentation, mm. and you pull back eighty years and you look at the work that they've done between now and then, and the you know the movement of animal rights, it's not abolitionist, obviously, but they've probably done some good stuff, and that and that surely in this sort of net it's a net gain for animal rights. Like how do you sort of how do you see that?
1: I would disagree. Um I don't see any gains. Um non-humans are still being slaughtered by the billion. Um their property status is fully intact. Um they're certainly being still experimented on. <laughs> Um, and as you said, I mean, is your friend a New Zealander who does it? In yeah, New yeah, Zealand? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, what I would say is that what's come out of this welfareist movement is this big happy, what 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 is coined as the happy exploitation movement, where you have people who think they're being a good person because they're buying cage-free eggs and are... Um, indignant when it's pointed out to them that there's really no fundamental difference between a cage-free egg or a caged egg especially not to the chicken and listen to the debate with Gary Francione and Eric Marcus to hear some details about specific legislature and, and movements about that and um and you have what you have is now a movement of happy animal products that is endorsed and promoted by the so-called animal advocates. I mean, how is that right? I mean, can you imagine in the human context if you had a happy human slavery and all of the the, the human rights advocates were out there saying, um, you know, you have to give your slaves blankets at night um, when it's cold and they're not saying there shouldn't be slaves, you know what I mean? So the damage to me is, is endless and you can see it more and more with this whole um, there's actually people who've gone back to using animal products because they now feel that um, the treatment is better Yeah. because the treatment was the focus. Yeah. So um, I would say that safe has done more harm than good. That's
0: interesting because it sort of speaks to a wider philosophical point of view, right? It does. I mean, I, I, you look at sort of, this is me speaking a little bit and, you know, like the idea of capitalism mm. and we use that as a framework to be able to exploit animals in much the same way that we do workers for example and it's like well okay the workers now have bigger televisions but are they more happy or in their bit of space i don't know is it do you, i mean and you're talking
1: about fundamentals here so the workers you know, if we were talking about the workers are having their throats cut versus the workers are being gassed to death. That's the level that we're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And yeah, but at the same time, I mean, it's, it's the idea of like, what is sort of perceived gain, um, within sort of a more sort of, um, I don't know, destructive system. I'm not necessarily talking about like the actual, um, the the damage that's going on to, to, to animals like, being gassed or whatever. Um, but do you understand what I'm saying? Like, You're about, like,
1: like, the structure? Yeah, well, I'm like... about
0: the structure and sort of, like, how we perceive it to be. So, for example, I mean, just taking it from a from a welfarist perspective, it's like, okay, well, now we have more chickens who are free-range and who have a better life. Not that long ago, we... The idea of free range wasn't even a concept. So as a part of like, it's, is it a net gain or is it like a net loss? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a sort of... For, for it's sort a of, net so.
1: nothing. Free range is a marketing tool that's used to make people feel better about consuming those animals. Yeah. Um, the legislature for free range is, um, from what I understand, they must have access to the outdoors. So generally, the way I understand it, is that there is a giant shed with, they're packed in just as tightly maybe not exactly as tightly as they are in a cage, but they're still de-beaked, you know, have they get, the, they get their beaks sliced off because they still peck each other. And there has to be access. So at the very far end of the cage, there might be a doorway and that is considered access. So remember when we're talking about property and we're talking about legislature, it's all about protecting the property owner. Uh-huh. So the, it, we have to talk about the use of animals. So um, to me, if you have 50 million chickens being raised and killed in battery um, farms um, a, a decade ago. And now you have 50 million chickens being raised and killed on a free range farm today. The fundamental point is that they're still enslaved and they're still being slaughtered. They all go to the same slaughterhouse. So if we want to talk about comparing evils, we could do that. One of the examples Gary Francione uses, famously, is the waterboarding example. Mm-hmm. You can have padded waterboards, and that's better. I mean, I'm not going to say that less harm is not better than more harm. It's less harm is better, but it's no, it's fundamentally no different. Mm-hmm. He he uses the analogy um in the debate as string bands on the way to the gas chamber or mattresses in the concentration camps. So what we're taking the position of is that. We don't want to add mattresses to the concentration camps. We want to get rid of the concentration camps. So when, when we're talking to people about use, I don't even, first of all, I try to bust the free-range myth. You can look it up. I mean, it's just a marketing tool. They are still tortured. They still are, lose their feathers. They're, all the males are still slaughtered at birth, the male chicks. It's still a horrendous industrial machinery of death. It's just got a little happy label on it.
0: Anyone who's listening to this podcast right now, hop on the com forward slash Mike hyphen Kumagai join the Fat Podcast and leave us a comment. That's really interesting. I'd love to hear people think about that. Sure. Um, what's my next question? Did no, I, I answer that okay? It did, yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's... Food for um, thought, right? It is food for thought. Um, I mean, Pun
1: intended.
0: Food. Good food. Um, I mean, I... As i say from my point of view i mean i i'm uh, coming from like as a sort of neutral place where um you know listening to your point of view on the podcast and stuff is fascinating because you know i don't hear this argument mm-hmm. often it's just when I, i've got a couple of um vegan friends and i just say yeah i don't eat or use eat animal products i don't use animal products um but that you push them a little bit further on it and i'll just go look it's not it's just a belief that i have and they probably won't push it that much further mm. i'm sure there are a lot of people out there who um um obviously there are lots of vegans out there it's an, an ethical thing first and foremost um but yeah you don't often hear that so it's really cool and, and interesting um but to sort of um speak for the non-vegan listener Um, Most of whom, you know, my audience probably won't be vegan, you know, they'd be like, okay, well, that's really interesting, you know, from my point of view, how about this thing, how about these things, you know, and, and, yeah, the biggest thing is like, it's like the, the lesser of two evils approach, Do you know what I mean? But
1: there's a third option. So there's one option one, which is to buy the quote factory farmed, whatever that means. Option two is to pay for the happy, happy, you know, happy label and kid yourself that it's actually any different. And then there's another option, go vegan. Sure. So if there was only the two options, if there was only the two options, if if in a, a parallel universe of hell, as I would call it, I am in a situation where I am forced to choose between a chicken who lived in a tiny, tiny cage or a chicken who got to run around on the grass before their throat was slit and they were slaughtered. And I had to only choose those two okay, maybe I would choose the chicken who ran on the grass. Maybe. yeah. yeah. But that's, that's not, not the choice that we have. We have the choice to not use any chickens at all and to go vegan. So it's a false... It's, not a, it's, it's a, a false argument. It's, yeah. not, it's, not a, it's not limited to that choice, That's what I'm
0: trying to yeah. say. Yeah. There's lots more in that. We need to move on, though. because I've sure, got, go got some more questions. That's sure. really, really interesting. And I... There needs to be more questions about that. Um, Sure. question that must come up a lot for you um, is like, is abolitionist veganism compatible with realities of everyday living?
1: Yes, it absolutely is. Um, When you go back to the um, basic sort of definition of veganism, which is um, Donald Watson is the man who invented the word. Um, veganism has, was not invented by him, but he coined the phrase, and um, and then he wrote a little definition because they started the Vegan Society, um, and it was basically in, I'm paraphrasing, but in as much as is humanly possible, for example. So when I, I say I'm an abolitionist vegan, I rent this apartment. For all I know, there's animal products in this paint. So you could say, well, you're living, you know, you're living in a non-vegan house, but I, I, you know. I can't. Uh, I don't own this house, and I can't uh, control what was done to it before I moved into it. Um, there's animal products in concrete, apparently. I can't fly. I can't levitate, so I walk on concrete. But I certainly can not buy products that are tested on animals. Um, not buy any makeup or cosmetics that contain any animal byproducts, not eat them, not wear them, not use them, don't go to the zoo, don't go to the circus, don't go to, you know, the rodeo, um, uh, all of those things and live, you know, and it's in as much as humanly possible. Right. It, you know, we're always, and then we always bring it to the conflict level because people have to take it to the conflict level because... Yeah we you know i'm not starving i can go to the supermarket and i can get fresh you know vegetables and beans and stuff if i was living in the middle of a forest and i was completely isolated and the choice was to kill that bird over there or die i could either ch- i might choose to die i mean knowing me i i might you know just lie down in the grass or whatever but you know maybe i would you know some survival instinct would kill, would you know, make me kill the bird um I mean, I'm going off on a tangent. No, but, no,
0: no. It, yeah, yeah. But it is yeah, compatible
1: yeah. with. I'm an abolitionist vegan. You know, I can't control the amount of animal products that are forced upon me at my at my job. Um, I have a computer at home, even, but at my job, the job that I have that pays my bills, there's computers there. They might have animal products and the plastics. I want a world where that doesn't happen. So I'm aiming towards a world where that doesn't happen. But I certainly don't go out and and buy knowingly buy animal products unnecessarily yeah whatever i hope that made sense
0: no it did yeah it makes sense i have another question for you sure and i'm going to quote you so i'm not going to trip you up but non-vegans are morally confused that's what i heard you say do you yes. want to tell me about that
1: yep well um one of the phrase well the phrase that it comes from is moral schizophrenia
0: yes 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 moral schizophrenia. moral
1: schizophrenia yep. okay so um I was remember for all your listeners. I want you all to know I didn't go vegan until I was thirty four years old, and I grew up eating. I wasn't a raised vegetarian. I ate everything you possibly could imagine. Wore leather, wool, blah 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 blah. Um, you know, products tested on animals, all that. And um, I didn't wake up one day and figure this out. I didn't have an epiphany and come to my. You know, get all this knowledge. I had to be talked to, and I had this. And I asked the same questions that Mike is asking me. I asked other vegans, and I had the same. Requests and the same thoughts and all that stuff and then fi- you know after being talked to about it I learned about it and I made total sense to me and I went vegan So that's just so you know, I was I'm not a genius or like anything like that. So um, but um, Basically, I was morally confused. I thought I loved animals. I thought I was an animal lover. At the same time, I was paying for animals to have their throats cut so that I could eat them because they tasted good. Or I was going out and buying shoes made out of their skin because I thought they looked good. If that's not an example of moral confusion, I don't know what is. Do you know what I mean? So it's
0: on different levels. We can we, we, uh, use animals insofar as it's convenient for us to use them. Is that...
1: It basically means that, um, how can I put it? I wish Gary was here, because he's, uh, I could ha- I'd could. i probably have to, oh,
0: here, yeah, I'll go, tell yeah, you what, I'll yet, get, a, I'll get what? a
1: pamphlet. Oh. I've actually got an abolitionist approach pamphlet that, basically, but here, um, the diagnosis, uh, our moral schizophrenia, that's chapter one. So I'll try to just, it'll probably be in the first sentence, okay. Um, On the one hand, we agree that it's morally wrong to impose... Oh, that's it. Okay, do you think it's morally wrong to impose unnecessary suffering and death on animals? Very few people would say they don't agree with that. In fact, most people say yes, they do. Yeah. Okay, so we all agree, apart from perhaps a... Very, very very small, very small, very percentage, small. Yeah. that it is wrong to impose unnecessary suffering on animals on the other hand the overwhelming amount of suffering that we do impose on animals cannot be oh okay is is um completely unnecessary yeah okay um so um so he calls it moral schizophrenia just because it is a um it's
0: we're okay with one thing no, Saying one thing believing in one way and then sorry sort of Having our values just in one way and then acting in a completely different well, we, way
1: Well, we were raised that way so it's not it's not about us It's not about us for one thing. It's got nothing to do with the clinical schizophrenia. He's, it's just a reference to our our op- Opposite thinking it's like we're split so like um, it's not about split personality at all. Anything. It's a moral schizophrenia. So. First of all, everybody was raised this way. So I'm not saying that people are deliberately going out and saying, I'm gonna po- you know, I'm impose unnecessary suffering and death. We, were, we had it indoctrinated into us. But when you look at the human history, going back to when Jeremy Bentham, which was a couple hundred years ago, said non-human animals can suffer. Here's an example. We recognize that they're all sentient. That's why we have humane slaughter laws. There are supposedly laws, because we know that these are sentient property. There's no humane car demolition laws. It's not like, you got to hit the car this way so it doesn't feel it as much. But we have these humane slaughter, slaughter laws. So on the one hand, we recognize that they're sentient beings and that they feel pain and suffering. But then we turn right around and we do things to them that cause horrendous suffering to them. And we exist in a completely un- affected frame of mind doing that. So we'll go to the television and we'll say, look at that cute little baby lamb. Oh my god, maybe look at a cute little baby lamb, little gorgeous little lamb. And then we'll go and buy a lamb chop. And that's what he means. You see the dichotomy there? But it's not deliberate. When we go to buy the lamb chop, we're not thinking about the cute little lamb anymore. We're thinking about we I don't know what we're thinking about. Food, I, guess. I don't know what I did. I Food yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that that's sort of what 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 we mean. So I get all kinds of people who say, "Well, I love animals," and I'm like, "Well, are you vegan?" And they say, "Well, no," and then I say, "Well, what do you mean by love then?" So
0: yeah, it's an interesting one. Mm. I have a question now. It's a little bit contentious. Okay. Um. But I did a podcast. So. You know, if it doesn't work out, we can just get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did a podcast a few months ago, and it was with a guy who was a zoophile, and he committed. He did committed. uh, He did Bestiality. bestiality. A friend of mine who was a vegan listened to that podcast. He, I think, like, you know, most people, like the vast majority of people, was you know, what was quite okay he reacts in a particular way which you can understand upset yeah but at the same time he said this is my vegan spin uh friend of the podcast he said actually if we look at what we do isn't it kind of morally schizophrenic if we can say look we are going to um he he uses sort of the idea of like raping a bull or something to this effect to to get semen or something like that which is uh which, yeah. yeah, which is standard practice. Whereas, insofar as this guy who did bestiality is concerned, these animals were consenting sentient beings. And he was like, okay, well, if they're consenting and this person is treating these other beings with personhood, as he put it earlier, doesn't that kind of make it morally acceptable?
1: I don't know. if I don't think they're really consenting. I mean, when when children are groomed, you know, they're actually groomed by sexual predators, and then they um, are um, assaulted sexually um, after the grooming and everything. They might um, experience physical um, pleasure. Some of the some of the children. That's why one of the reasons why they're so confused sometimes because it felt good. Um, So, I don't necessarily agree that non-humans consent to a human um, doing sexual acts to them um, the way that another human consents. I don't think there's a mutual consent there. Um, I disagree that there is consent, and I don't think that it is morally right to use animals for sex. Um, I don't know how... Important I mean, that's my opinion. Yeah. I mean,
0: well, I guess what it comes down to that this that my mate was Arguing was that if you can apply and I mean this is all predicated on the Idea of consent being established because mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. I mean, that's that's the that's the response I had And I you know, I can't I'm not gonna argue for that But it was really interesting my friend who is a vegan and, and who feels quite strongly about this stuff um, He said assuming that consent is established, what we can consider to be consent, i.e. the animal moves first or something like this. Um, this person is allowed or giving this other sort of animal um, personhood. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Yeah. That, okay,
1: um, what I would say is that my, my reaction to that is anybody listening to that podcast who was outraged about what he did Why aren't you vegan? Because if what if what he did is to you a violation of that animal and what do you think happens to the animals whose bodies you're eating? If that's not a violation then I don't know what. So if you're outraged by someone who's committing bestiality, if you're outraged by somebody who tortures dogs, if you're outraged by people who bludgeon seals to death, then be outraged by about all of it. Go vegan. So that's probably what maybe that's what good answer. We, maybe that's what your friend was saying. He's like, What's your all you people's problem? This guy's doing something That wasn't that's, that's what probably, he meant.
0: But it's a great answer. Yeah. Good answer. So that very, that's what we would say. <laughs> very good answer. Um, okay, so I just want to ask you some stuff about you personally and and, sure. and your podcasts and the sort of practice that you sort of um, that you go through every day or, or, or mm-hmm. sort of stuff like that so what's sure. what in your opinions the best and worst aspects of being vegan
1: the best aspect of being vegan is um, knowing that I am finally aligning my actions with my belief in non-violence and with my um, my morality you know the I, I was one of those people who would have said I don't think it's right to inflict unnecessary suffering and death on animals so it's nice to feel consistent um, I love how it's opened my world um, even something I'm talking about insects um, ever since I went vegan and I stopped viewing insects as my enemy um, I I have seen and, and um, experienced you know, just the pure joy and privilege of seeing another life and, and not harming that life, not interfering with that life. Um, you know, one of the, I actually wrote a blog, um, Facebook post the other day. The problem with insects is they're so vulnerable and we're so big and clumsy. So when I remove insects from my body or from my desk or my bed or something, it's not because I think I have a right to do whatever I want to them or because they disgust me or because they scare me like they used to. It's because I'm terrified of hurting them. But when I'm, um, you know... If I see an insect in a safe place in my house, I just enjoy leaving that insect alone and um the you know the the feeling of peace that that gives me so so being vegan um is it's like it's like you've come together it's like that schizophrenia the moral schizophrenia is gone um even though you didn't know you you had it and it, you can use you know um whatever terminology you like um, but um, it's it's gone now um, so I no longer have to close my eyes and ears when I'm buying something um, thinking that you know I, I know that people do that especially people who've heard a little bit about farming because I've talked to them on on my street still and they're like oh I don't want to think about it I don't want to think about it and I'm like please think about it you have to think about it because if you don't think about it then you'll keep doing it so that that's what I would say the, the feeling of completeness and consistency and um, really trying my best to be um, a, a, a a being on this planet who respects other beings. That's what I try to do as best I can. And I'm still human, and I'm still speciesist, and there's you know I know I am. But when it comes to the worst aspect, the worst aspect is that hardly anybody's vegan yet, and um, and that you know you walk out of your house with this new knowledge and you re- and recognizing the moral personhood, and then you walk past. The shoe stores and everybody else sees pretty shoes, and all you can see is this terrible injustice. And and you've you've you know that that's someone's skin who wanted to live, and it just is repulsive. And so you're surrounded by, you're sort of bombarded with the evidence of of this of this massive slaughter, and that's quite difficult. Um, So what I do to combat that is I do my street stall and I do my podcast and I try to talk to as many people about veganism as I can. Um, You know, even socially, like I've become, I'm I'm pretty self-sufficient socially and I finally, there are some other abolitionist vegans in Auckland, so I've got some friends there. But, you know, like I was thinking the other day, like at work, you know, before I went vegan, I was in the kitchen saying, oh, what have you got for lunch? Oh, that smells really good. Oh, can I have the recipe? And that's. I just I, I don't even go into the kitchen now. I don't even want to be around it. I don't want to smell it. I want to see it. And I'm thinking, Oh, if only everybody was vegan because then I would be in the kitchen saying, Oh what's that recipe? Let me try it. Oh it, you know, or oh, can I have a little taste of this? Or I'd say, Oh what a gorgeous pair of shoes you've got. Oh I really like them. I just I don't do that now because I look at the shoes and I think, Oh, that's made of skin I and don't like them. So, you know, that's the hard thing. The hard thing is that nobody else is, is vegan.
0: Yeah, well, I wasn't ask that. Uh, Is vegan gaining? veganism? It certainly is. I
1: just want to say that, giving that ray of hope, especially to anybody out there who's either gone vegan or is going vegan or wants to go vegan, it's definitely changed, especially in New Zealand, in the last eight years or nine years since I've been back. It is astonishing the difference. And I would argue that it's since the abolitionist movement started promoting veganism and saying to the welfarists, get out of the way, you know, stop it. Not that they're listening to us, but yeah, veganism has taken off in New Zealand, big time. I'm a living witness, a living witness to how much has taken off in terms of the, even just the the knowledge, even though it's, a lot of it's very misguided and it's very misinformed, it's the word is there, but we are constantly having to sort of correct it because it's often misused, but whatever, it's out there. um, Restaurants, um, food availability, product availability, um, and it's it's definitely way, way better than it was eight years ago, and it's only going to get more, so yeah, that's a hope. It
0: seems that the sort of wider sort of community is becoming much more perceptive to it veganism. Yeah. I agree. Um, vegans have had some pretty rough things said of them. How do you deal with that?
1: Well, somebody once said, and this is so great, they said, I really wish people would stop going on, I'd stop talking about vegans and just worry about veganism. So this cult of personality thing this this thing forget the vegan just the ideas focus on the ideas of veganism you know we have this label we have this word which we defend because we have to because it represents a concept and we're defending that concept but I don't care what people say about vegans. They're just people. I care what people say about veganism. And if you've got an argument against veganism, I want to hear it because I haven't heard one yet. But if you're going to come to me and say I met a vegan and they were such a jerk, or you know they made me feel bad, or they were really rude, or or they were a, a misanthrope, which I don't agree with. You know what a misanthrope is? I didn't learn about that till after I went vegan. In yeah. case you don't know what a misanthrope is, listener, because I didn't. Um, it's somebody who hates the human race and you know, sometimes quite violent towards humans. Um, I don't care if you've met a vegan, you know, who's like that. Think about the ideas. So I really don't care what people say about vegans. The only thing, the only reason that it would would bother me is because if they're using it as an excuse to not even consider the ideas, then it would bother me.
0: So, I mean, that's really interesting. Just, re- I just want to touch on that a little bit. Um, I've spoken to a few friends about this podcast before I came, and we're doing it now. And there has been like a little bit of there was not I wouldn't say like severe pushback but there's been like well I've actually spoken to a few vegans who have been like okay well they've been pretty not I wouldn't say abusive but certainly quite forward about the way that they see it and um, sort of take a position which um, they kind of react in a not so Mm -hmm. you know like positive way towards like what how do you how do you sort of approach sort of non-vegans?
1: Well, um, I try my very, very, very best to be a vehicle for the ideas the way they were to me. I do a street stall and I've learned a lot over the years. Um, I get emotional, I get angry, um, I get defensive, I'm only human. But I try really hard to listen and to remember that I wasn't vegan and to remember why I went vegan. so um it's i know i know that people get defensive and you know if you're advocating this the way i am it's just like feminism i'm a feminist as well and i am i'd like to think i mean i'm doing my best to advocate for equality period human non-human so i support civil rights i support gay rights you know obviously all of that and um Ask anyone in those movements, whether there's vilification of them, they're told not to be to speak out, you know, anytime you speak out in a social justice movement, I don't care what it is, you're going to get called strident or militant or, you know, you're forcing your ideas on me. That just goes with the territory and you just be as patient and as non-violent. I'm totally against violence, so I be as non-violent as possible. Don't you know call names don't don't you know don't put people down personally focus on the actions and focus on the ideas and that seems to work for me and at the street stall we've had some pretty intense conversations i, I bet mean you don't have. get me wrong yeah. Yeah. yeah but you know for one thing face to face is so much different than in writing and um and as long as you listen and you hear what they say and you respond to what they say not the way they say it yeah. that's really important and it's not you know as a new vegan i used to get so emotional yeah. i just wanted to cry Um, it was, I, my head was filled with blood because I'd, I'd been spending time watching all these gory videos, which I don't do anymore. Um, I was just, I was just in turmoil and a couple of times, yeah, I probably did, um, get emotionally, you know, reactive. I think emotions are fine. Emotions are okay, but I might've been a bit, um, what's, I wouldn't call it abusive. I've never been abusive. I mean, I'd like to think I have never been abusive and I don't, obviously don't condone that. Yeah. So, yeah, if, you're, if you've got friends, again, you know, people use it as an excuse. Yeah, that's
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: They use it as an excuse to not consider the ideas. They say, oh, I met a feminist. She was ugly and she was loud and screechy. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, either she was or she wasn't. But what about the ideas of yeah. feminism? What do you think about that? They don't want to think about that. So they point to the feminist and talk about her yeah yeah yeah, yeah so
0: deviating away from Correct. what their ideas are yeah so let's talk a little bit about your podcast um what motivated you to start the New Zealand vegan podcast uh
1: because i was filled with all of this desperate desire to talk about veganism and to get to get these thoughts out and to reach other people and i wasn't having as much luck, this was back in 2008, 2009, because my family weren't interested. I have a very small family. I came back, i have been away for a long, long time, and came back as a vegan. They're very, very accommodating, they're very respectful, they cook me wonderful vegan food, but they don't want to talk about it. At work, there's only so much you can do, but you're working, you're busy, and people get to a certain point and because there's interpersonal dynamics, they don't want to talk about it. And then all the other vegans I was meeting were all welfareist, and it did not go well at all. That was something I could have learned from. I'll tell you what... My, my interactions with other vegans, I'm, some of them I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have been, that I can say, I wish I'd handled differently, because I used to get extremely outraged at them, because I'm like, you should know better, what is wrong with you, so, that's interesting, oh, yeah, I was worse. Yeah, 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 that yeah. was when I, that was when I, I would be maybe even rude, I hate to say it, but I might have even been rude to them, and I really hope I wasn't, and I'm sorry if I was, but that, isn't that interesting, huh? yeah, it
0: is, but I can, I can understand, it's just, this is what we talked about earlier, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's, you know. Yeah.
1: But um, yeah, so I started my podcast and it is a desperate need for therapy to talk. I had all these ideas. I was a new vegan. I was reading all of Gary Francione's books and listening to his arguments. I looked out in the world and all I could see was welfareism, and I just, I just had to get it out. So I just did a podcast and I thought if anybody listens, great, but if not, I feel better. And also when you articulate things out loud you can put the ideas in your mind. So I would go start my podcast with an idea and I would work through that idea. Obviously, I'm a verbal, you know, very verbose as we can tell person and I work things out that way. So it was, it was, it was selfish. It was therapy. That's the main reason why I started it. Actually,
0: that's really interesting because when I listened to, you and you know, um, listened to a few of them, I was amazed that you'd get through an entire episode by yourself oh god that's and so I was, embarrassing no, no 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 not at all because like I'd, uh, I, I, I would run out of steam but there was continuity of thought as well because that's definitely how it felt when I was listening to it oh well,
1: thank goodness yeah no it was It was really
0: interesting it was
1: it was uh, it was therapy I really I, it
0: is therapy sorry it's still ongoing by the way guys it will be yes podcast I do I do year. I
1: still do it um, not as much as before maybe I've maybe I'm in a more balanced place <laughs> but um yeah it was definitely it was and um and I would react to things. I wanted to and I wanted to, to um to, to I wanted to vocal vocalize, you know, my opposition. So when I would read something and, and I it was my platform as well. You know, we all need a platform. And so make your own. You know, people write blogs, you do a podcast or whatever. And that was also my platform. And that was another thing I use it for. Because I mean, if nobody wants to listen to me, I'll just tell the air. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Alright.
0: So what's your favorite podcast your most popular podcast let's run those two together and how did the audience respond to those uh episodes sorry what was your favorite you you mean
1: you mean that i've done yeah
0: personal yeah oh news on vegan podcast
1: um gosh um you mean in terms of people
0: yeah the 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 most reaction you've got from a podcast
1: oh that's such a good question because i do i don't really get a lot of feedback mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't even really name you one where I really did get a lot of feedback um, do
0: you have a favorite episode yourself
1: to be honest, it's going way way back to like my first and second. I like other beginning ones because um even though I say some things in there which I might say differently now or whatever the case may be um, my yeah i I don't really know like. To be honest I, I do them i put them out and i feel better and and i don't really Keep track. I know yeah. that sounds terrible. No, so, no, like, no, 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 yeah. I t- couldn't tell you. Oh, in this episode, I said okay. and such. But I do remember the first ones. Um, I remember the one I did about this, and, and I did about Margaret Garner because that was hugely important to me.
0: So, um, Margaret Garner. Uh, and, uh, so
1: this is, I think, it was episode two. Okay, there we this go. This is Listeners. like my second episode. Yep. And Margaret Garner, um, there was. I heard an interview with a writer. Her name is um, Tony Morris, and she wrote. She's an African American writer, and she writes a lot about slavery. And uh, she wrote a book called Beloved. And she was talking about the book Beloved. And then she mentioned another book that she'd written. Oh No, the book Beloved was based on Margaret Garner. And Margaret Garner was a slave in, Amer- in, in America, in the race-based slavery. And, she, and you can look her up. And she escaped with her children. And they were getting away. And they were on a barge or something. And then the slavers caught up with them. And she chose to murder her children. She threw her children overboard because the thought of going back into slavery she 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 you know she was obviously i would say you know mentally she was just completely and utterly distraught and insane you could say with grief and terror and she m- murdered her children in order for them not to become go back to slavery what? Okay, yeah. so the argument, this is the fascinating bit, there are two, there were two people, there were the regulationists, this is just like the abolitionist movement and the welfareist movement for animal rights, there was the abolitionists against slavery and there were the regulationists, the, the abolitionists wanted her to be convicted for murder, charged with murder, not because they wanted her to get a heavier sentence, not because they wanted to be harsher on her, obviously they'd want her to be acquitted or whatever, but because it recognized that her children were persons. The regulationists and the slavers said it was destruction of property, which was a lesser charge. But that meant that her children were property. And the abolitionists said they're persons. She murdered them. So they lost. The abolitionists lost and that she was charged with destruction of property. But do you see the ideological fight there? Yeah. And it was so profound to me because that's and it was so and and this is a terrible situation, you know. And the abolitionists Would have been they would not have wanted this woman to suffer anymore They didn't want her to be charged with murder based on their own nefarious or Ideological you know things I mean obviously they would want her to be treated and saved and acquitted and and given therapy and help and everything but they insisted it would be murder because otherwise it just her children were pieces of property and they said no. So that was, when I read about that and I related and I just was starting to learn about abolition, it really, really brought it home to me.
0: And so you talk about this in your podcast. And
1: podcast number two, I'm pretty sure. Okay,
0: well, podcast number two. I think yeah. the listeners should go hunt for that one. Sure. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Isn't
0: it? Ugh! Yeah. can't imagine what it would have been like. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about... The best vegan dish you'd recommend to a non-vegan?
1: Right. Oh gosh, that is so hard. This is the hardest question you asked me all <laughs> night. Um, okay, I got asked um, at my where I go to yoga for a recipe, and I thought and I racked my brains, and because they're yogis. <laughs> Um, I, I, I I gave them my one of my favorite dishes because it's easy to make and I love it and it's delicious and the ingredients are not too expensive and it's basically a it's a bowl it's like it's like a, a big bowl with quinoa and and sauteed garlicky greens and um, and lentils and smothered in tahini sauce um, so I actually made a little one page recipe and gave it to them and that was the one that I picked. So I'm happy to share that with your listeners if you'd like.
0: Absolutely. I was going to say, here, yeah, we I
1: can give we'll you that. find,
0: we'll find the recipe.
1: Sure. Sure.
0: Awesome. So it's like some sort of, it's like a salad. Right? It's, it's a hot meal. It's a hot meal. So okay. It's right, a hot okay, meal and right. you
1: smother it with this warm sauce and then you just eat, eat it. It's just so, so yummy, but oh, that is such so a cool. tough question. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I, that's too hard. This you but you, you have
0: you have recipes on your podcast, don't you? Um, I've seen I have some I don't links. know if I've
1: got recipes. I've got I've got a flicker I've got a flicker feed which I've now turned into Instagram. I mean this was back before. Yes. This was back in the old days, chillens. Yeah. Yeah. Um and um but recipes I don't really Really have a lot of on my podcast. I don't think. Um, okay. And the flicker and the flicker feed. I used to do step by step. I'd take a photo of me like pouring in the water. I don't do that anymore. Um, but yeah, recipes. Oh, Google. Google. Yeah.
0: There's Internet lots of. Internet like, yeah.
1: yeah, unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Um, I guess just to wrap up, did yeah. you want? I mean, are there any major misconceptions that you see? non-vegan saying of like sort of a vegan perspective that you wanted to address at the end of this podcast?
1: Wow, um, yes, it is not about vegans saying we're superior and that we're better than you. In fact, I would argue the opposite. Abolitionists say everybody can be vegan and it's easy and you can do it today. So how is that superior? Because if I thought it was so special, I'd be saying, well, it's really hard. You can't do it. I can do it, but you can't do it. And that's another objection we have to the welfareist movement where they portray it as this superhero, really difficult thing. And I'm like, how elitist is that? So you're saying your average Kiwi bloke can't be vegan, how insulting. Yes, he can. So that misconception that it's about a superiority, that it's about us wanting to be better or that it's some kind of little badge of honor. No, 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 no. I want you to be vegan just as much as I want you to be a feminist that's as, as a, and stick up for gay rights and not persecute people of color. That's all it is. It's just basically let's have equality. And it is a concept that's represented by a word. But yeah, that, that I don't like. Self righteous and superiority. No, no, no. You can be vegan today. It's easy. There is nothing superior about that.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It's
1: been a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Um, so yeah, you need to, to listeners, you can go to Elizabeth's podcast, New Zealand vegan blogspot.com. Absolutely give it a listen. Really cool, and I love local podcasts because there's not that many that I've seen. There's a few,
1: mm, yeah, but
0: they all seem to be sort of hogged by you know, big, not many independent podcasts. So. No,
1: and anybody can do a podcast, so
0: that's right. Yeah, I'm doing one right exactly. now, in fact. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Um, I might yet again at some point because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of um, feedback on this one. Sure,
1: I'd welcome it. Awesome,
0: thanks. <laughs>